Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 325 of the podcast. I have a fascinating, incredible guest for you today. Her name is Tiffany Huffstruthers, and today we're covering the topic of domestic violence. This is an episode that you're not going to want to listen to on full blast in your car with your kids. (laughs) It does get very personal and um, just not something you probably want to broadcast your children just yet. However, it is a great conversation about how complex and difficult a situation like an abusive relationship can be. And Tiffany really broke the mold in her family in a lot of ways and then also continued to be trapped by the same subconscious narrative of needing to achieve and needing to projects and needed to solve problems for people and things and that kept her in a relationship for a very long time ending up having two kids and then needing to find her way out of that relationship ultimately there was a big incident that allowed her to cut ties ultimately with that abusive man and she's going to share all about that story and how she now goes on to help her sons to become men of strong character and I love this conversation so much. You are not going to believe Tiffany's story. My jaw is literally on the floor for many parts of it and I hope that you just enjoy listening in on Tiffany Huffstruthers' story today. All right, I'm so honored to be chatting with Tiffany Huffstruthers today. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, how are you? So So good. to chat with you as well, Jessica. Yay, where am I speaking to you from? I'm over here on the East Coast in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Nice. Awesome. I have a cousin that went to Pitt for college and loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I am so excited that you reached out and shared some of your story with me, and I can't wait to learn more because, girl, (laughs) you you have had a life. You have had a life, and you have come out on the other side stronger and wiser, and you are a victory story. Do you view it that way? I do. I oftentimes feel like I've actually lived a completely different life. Yeah, I can see how that would be possible. So for people that don't know you yet, Tiffany, will you give just a little snapshot on yourself and your family? Sure. So like I said, I'm um, over here in Pittsburgh, born and raised native. I have two sons of my own and have been married for a few years now and also have two bonus daughters, all of whom are teenagers three in high school and the oldest bonus daughter is a freshman in college. So we really have our hands full Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, yeah, I'm an author. I'm a podcaster like you and I have had quite the journey, quite the journey. And I'm sure we're going to dig into it a bit more. Um, But ultimately, you know, I had a very tumultuous relationship with the father of my boys and it ended literally with a bang. Interestingly, Tiffany, I've had a lot of discussions with women about domestic violence lately and trafficking and abuse. And it's just, it's, it's sickening 
to talk about, but it is one of those things that does not get talked about enough because it's it's really layered. And at the time, I'm sure you felt a, a layer of secrecy around it, right? Because A, for your own safety, and B, just kind of, was there shame involved with it too? Tell me about that first relationship. So I can tell you that there was definitely a layer of secrecy. And, and here's part of the reason why people often ask me, you know, like, why did you stay? Why were you with him for so long? So just to give you a little bit of my backstory, Mm -hmm. I grew up the youngest of three children. Um, My parents were married. They did very well until they didn't. Mm -hmm. So everything that could have hit, you know, a family in the city hit my family. My, My dad ended up on drugs. My mom had some mental health challenges. My older sister was a teenage mom. My brother started getting into trouble and thought he was in a gang. So like all of those things were compounding. And then there was me. And all I wanted to do was like sit in the corner and read books and make good grades and do all of the things. And there was very little that I attempted to do that I didn't do well. Mm. My parents always said, you know, Tiffany, as long as you work hard, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. You can have whatever you want to have. And so I got addicted to achievement. I got addicted to success because there was so much going on in my family that they only, you know, and not intentionally, I'm sure, but I got the most attention when I achieved something. Mm -hmm. And so when I got into this relationship and we were very young, we started dating as seniors in high school. So I was still very heavily rooted in the achievement, you know, mindset, especially because I was preparing for college and applying for scholarships and all of the things. And so part of the level of secrecy for me was that there was nothing I had attempted to do that I was not successful at. So I could not publicly allow people to see that I was failing in this relationship, if that makes sense. Hey everyone, I wanted to jump in and thank a show sponsor, and that is Homeschool Magnet. Homeschool Magnet supports families in homeschooling by providing students with instruction from world-class credentialed teachers in remote classrooms with their peers. Parents choose the best teachers for each student based on values and teaching approach to ensure each and every child is receiving the exact education they desire. It puts you as a parent in full control of your child's education without the daily responsibilities of lesson planning, pre-learning, teaching, tutoring, and grading. And I know that that has been a real big source as I've tried to make educational decisions for my kids, feeling overwhelmed by my personal responsibility suddenly in their education. Homeschooled Magnet can really alleviate a lot of those concerns for you. They receive instruction in the four core subjects, and then you can involve your student in as many additional things as you want them to according to their learning goals. Other online schools exist, but Homeschool Magnet is unique because they include a robust online learning environment. They work from real, physical learning materials guided by video instructions from their teachers. It's kind of like college learning, and students end up doing very, very well in this format. Homeschool Magnet is a fraction of the cost and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee upon enrollment. And so you're choosing this risk-free and enrollment and tuition are based on a semester basis. So you're only committing for a short period of time. So if what you're doing right now is not working, I really recommend you give Homeschool Magnet a try. To learn more about Homeschool Magnet's student experience, go to homeschoolmagnet.com and join the growing wait list. And once you're on that website, just go ahead and tell them from a drop-down menu that you found out about Homeschool Magnet at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks again to Homeschool Magnet for sponsoring the show. 
so a common thing that I hear from women is that they're caught up in this cycle where they literally just don't see any other option but the norm that they're brought up in. And so to have, you know, drugs and teenage pregnancy and lots of struggles with violence and things like that around you, and yet you stayed so straight and narrow for so long. Like, how did you cling to that when it would have been so much easier to kind of just go with the norm that you were falling into or could have fallen into? Well, it was twofold, and that's a really great question. The first is because I used those things as a motivation as opposed to as an excuse, mm-hmm. right? I held on to the fact that I was the one, and I was going to be the one to quote unquote, like, make it out, if you will. Yeah. And also, people really were drawn to me, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, because I was a good student, because I had an aptitude or the potential to succeed, even when my parents were not able to do or give what you know might have been best there were people who always tapped on my shoulder and said we want you to do this or we see that you'll be successful in this so there were always people rallying for me in the background wow and the- that's amazing yeah. that's amazing and it just sorry to interrupt but it just speaks to me of like how one person can make a big difference so whether it's you as a parent whether it's you as the teacher that steps in whether it's the neighbor like somebody saw you and saw yes. who you could be. And, and there were multiple people like that for you. And I mean, wow, that's amazing. Anyways, sorry, yeah. keep going. <laughs> the other thing was, because I think this really speaks to the question you asked initially, because my sister was very much like me, right? She was a straight A student. She was very bright. She got to high school. She was a freshman. She was dating a senior and she got pregnant. And so by the time I got to high school, there was this paranoia around me repeating what my sister had done. And so I was working equally hard to achieve as I was to not be a a pregnant teen mom, right? Mm. So that was the one bullet I was working very hard to dodge. And while I I was successful at that, I wasn't given enough attention to the fact that, you know, an abusive relationship is a thing as well. Yeah. So I was already like way too deep in it before I realized, whoa, this is not normal. Yeah. And there does become that point of no return with an abusive relationship, isn't there? Or it feels that way. You know, it's very interesting that you asked that question, because like I said, for so long, I was just so committed to making it work, making mm. it right. It could be done. He needs this. I need that. You know, always trying to figure out the next plan, you know, like when you set a goal and it's like, okay, this is the goal. These are the three bullet points under the goal. So there was always just me like, well, let me try this goal. Let me take this approach. And it it never quite worked. And then we had a child. Hmm. And so now it's like, I want my child to have both of us. I want it to be different than what happened with my parents. I don't want to give up. My son deserves both of his parents. And so that was the other piece of the fight that came. And even amidst this relationship, if I understand the timeline correctly, you went to college. You were the first in your family to go to college. I was the first in my family to go to college. Yes. Congratulations. And so even with, even with this, hurdle to overcome this project that you were constantly working on thinking this is just one more thing that I'm going to conquer kind of thing in the relationship bucket 
you were right. doing legitimate, you know, straight and narrow things on the other side. I can't imagine juggling all of that and the emotional and mental toil that must have had. So you went on to have a child. I mean, you received scholarships. I mean, Tiffany, you were making it happen. I was doing the you best. You were doing that it. I, I was doing the best that I could. And and it's that facade again of outward success mm. when on the inside you were like dying. I was like literally spiritually committing suicide because mm. I was doing so many acts, if you will. Like I was everything everybody else wanted me to be, but there was really nothing happening for Tiffany. Of course I wanted to go to college and of course I was happy to get scholarships, but there was very little time and energy to focus on what did Tiffany really want? Because I was always trying to appease him and I was always trying to be the successful one in the family. And I was always helping with my nieces and nephews and you know what I mean? All of the things. And so, like you said, it was very mentally exhausting. And then when I finally got to the point where I was like, this cannot be my life anymore. Everything kind of went to hell. if you Right. So tell me about that. So, Okay, so when I had my first son, I was just out of college, right? I had a quote-unquote good job, and things were okay. We absolutely hadn't planned to have a baby. But I said to myself, you know, I finished college. I have a decent job. I was in graduate school, and I was like, it'll be fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't fine. And... So my son's, my, my older son's first Christmas, and this might seem dramatic to you, but this is how intense it got. My older son's first Christmas, I remember when his dad left for the day, I had a moving company come and I moved out of the house that we shared together. And when I say that I did it in a rush, they literally picked my Christmas tree up fully decorated and moved it onto the moving truck and into my new house. And I did not tell him I was leaving. I just kind of escaped. Mm -hmm. And so that created a very obviously challenging experience for my son's first Christmas. But it was also just, you know, because I don't want this to come up, come off the wrong way because safety is most important. Right. Mm -hmm. And it would not have been an easy, okay, you go your way and I'll go mine. But it was also me running from myself still. Hmm. I wasn't necessarily facing the music with him. I was doing, I was still catering to these different siloed boxes that I was in. And so I did that. I left and that was actually not the first time I did something like that, but that was when it was like, okay, I have this son, this can't be this way anymore. Something has to change. So I moved out and, you know, we didn't have Christmas together. It was, it was, it was really rough. And then over the course of the holiday break, New Year's, uh, time frame, you know, we had a conversation. He was like, I just want to see, you know, the baby. I didn't get to see him for Christmas. And I was like, well, you can't know where I am. You can't come to our house. So we ended up getting a room at a hotel. And of course life happened. And then I was pregnant again. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as you can imagine, things were very complicated. And the pregnancy with my second son was very, very tumultuous. It was a very rough journey. And we ended up like in child support court and there were PFAs and all of these things. And so 
things really started to get heated because I completely cut off ties. Like I was just like at the point where I wasn't running anymore. I was ready to stand up and I was just like, this isn't going to work. This is over. We're done. And it did not go over well, obviously. Now, granted, I will say that at this point, we were about eight years into this relationship. So it was a very long relationship. We were both very young, you know, first love, all of that stuff. So the summer after I had my second son, things got really, really bad. Like I was being stalked. He was showing up at my house and I would have to call the police and the police would like escort me through the neighborhood with my children to a certain point so that I could safely get to a family member's house. It was just, it was just surreal. Mm. The month of June of 2006, I stayed with a friend for an entire month. And I was just like exhausted. I was like, we're living out of bags. You know, it doesn't make sense. I have this whole home and I'm afraid to go home. And I was just like, I'm going home. So I went home and then it was back to the stalking, back to the threatening, just pure, utter craziness. Not long after I went home, one night he called me and we were talking on the phone. He's like driving home from the bar. He was drunk. So I'm like, at least I could stay on the phone with him until he gets to his destination to make sure he doesn't like hit a pole or something. And unbeknownst to me, he was on my porch this entire time. Oh my gosh. And so I had a slum landlord at the time. And he, so I didn't know it until this happened, but he literally climbed in my back window and came into the house. Right. Mm. And so he was fine. He didn't like get crazy or anything that night. He literally just wanted to talk, but I had no interest in the conversation. So ultimately, uh, you know, he ended up going to sleep and it was fine. But A couple weeks after he climbed in my window, he came to my house again. Only this time, we hadn't had a conversation. I didn't know he was coming. I had gotten really extra firm again after he climbed in my window. I had the PFA. Like, I was doing everything that I could possibly do to protect myself and to protect my children. And so a couple weeks later, he shows up. I believe he attempted to climb at that window, and he couldn't get in because I had that two-by-four in there, and it was Jimmy closed. And um, my back door where my kitchen is, you know how you have um, the doors that have, like, the squares of glass in them? Sure, yeah. So that's how my back door was. And he went to the back door after he couldn't get in that window, and he shot, he shot through one of those squares so that he could put his hand inside the door and unlock it. How's that for a cliffhanger? (laughs) We'll keep going with Tiffany, but I did want to thank another show sponsor, and that is Vistaprint. This holiday, Vistaprint is all about helping you to create custom gifts that are so personal they could never be regifted and the gift recipient feels the love and care and time you put into that custom gift for them. We've all received those gifts that are pretty, you know, run of the mill and like, you know, could be given to anybody. But there's nothing like receiving a personalized gift to make you feel loved, special, and to take you back to those memories that are so important to you. Vistaprint specializes in unregiftable gifts, gifts that are so unique and personal you wouldn't dream about passing them on. One-off gifts like custom mugs, canvas prints, photo books, wall calendars, and wall calendars are a must-do every single year for my family members, and they're so easy to make, and they're really thoughtful, and people always look forward to them. 
They're the kind of thoughtful gifts you really can't wait to give either. At Vistaprint, you can create your own personalized holiday cards, adding your own photos, messages, and adding special finishing touches as well. They have such great quality and customer service, I cannot recommend Vistaprint enough. So rather than giving an unoriginal gift this holiday, make it an unregiftable gift with a custom gift from Vistaprint. Go to vistaprint.com EEP to get started on your unregiftable gift. The holidays are coming up. Don't wait on this. You need to get started now so you're not stressed. Don't miss your chance to get an unregiftable gift. Get started today at vistaprint.com EEP. And so on this particular night, that he came, I was having a sleepover. It was actually my sister's birthday weekend. I'm not sure why I wasn't invited to celebrate with her. (laughs) (laughs) But I ended up having a little sleepover. I had my niece and my nephew and I had my two boys. And so when I heard the noise that was him shooting through the window, I thought one of the kids had fallen out of the bed. Mm -hmm. So I got up and I opened my bedroom door. and, And I should say that the reason why the sound was muffled was because I had a window air conditioning unit in. So it was, you know, kind of muffling the sound. So I opened the door and the way my house was set up, like the moment I came out of my door, I could see directly into the boys room and everybody was still intact. Yeah. So then I heard footsteps downstairs and I immediately knew it was him. Like I, I didn't even, question and before I could really react to the realization he was coming up the steps with the gun pointed at me that was a long answer to your question (laughs) wow I can't even imagine had you previously feared for your life with him like did you think it could get to that point where you were going to end up at this moment So, you know, leading up to it, as I said, things got worse and worse progressively, but everyone else was convinced that he wouldn't do anything. Like he would threaten a lot. He would physically, you know, we'd had plenty of physical altercations, but nothing this extreme. I mean, there were some extreme things, but nothing this extreme. And even leading up to, like I said, that summer was just terrible. And everybody was like, oh, he's not going to do anything. He's just talking. It's, But I was afraid. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I stayed at someone else's house for a month was clearly an indication that I was afraid. I was absolutely positively afraid. And I was shocked when he came in, but I also wasn't. Okay. Because, you know, I could feel how things were getting worse and worse. So you're face-to-face with him? So- you have so sleeping kids. Things. You have sleeping kids in your house. So I'm sure you're thinking yeah. about yourself. You're thinking about them. Yeah. You're hoping they don't wake up or like you don't know yeah. what he's going to do. So then what happened? All of those things. You were yeah. in my head, all yeah. of those things. And, and I should, you know, have prefaced this by saying like, I'm not a little woman. You know, I'm about 5'9", depending upon the year. You know, I'm probably between a a 12 and a 16. So I'm not a little woman, but he was also a very large man, probably about, you know, six, two, six, three, you know, more than 300 pounds, big guy. Right. And he has a gun. Right. Coming up the steps and the way the house was set up, like when you got to the top of the steps, you literally could walk right into my bedroom. So I, he kind of like backed me into the bedroom and like backed me onto the bed and like we, 
I was sitting on the bed and he just the entire time, Jessica, the gun was like on my nose, like in between my eyes, like never moved this entire time. He's hollering and he's screaming and he's smacking me and I'm just sitting there and that felt like a lifetime. I can't even tell you how long that was, sure. but I started to get very nervous and I felt like I was going to have an accident. But I, sh- I want to share this because I know we see this in movies and we hear people say like their life flashed before their eyes while he was screaming and yelling and smacking me and that gun was on my face. My life flashed before my eyes. Like I could see pictures of me at my high school graduation with my mom. I saw a picture of me breastfeeding my older son. Like I saw wow. all of these memories, like literally flashing through my head, almost like a slideshow. And so I started to get really nervous. I was like overheated and I thought I was going to have an accident. I was like, I really need to go to the bathroom. Like I'm going to like, not like just like, what the the bed like I'm gonna have a big accident if I don't yeah. get to the bed. So he like let me get up and he's like like walking behind me and following me to the bathroom and then at some for some reason he got enraged again and he like pushed me up against the wall and at that moment I looked in his eyes and I could see that he was like drunk or high like he wasn't himself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I don't do something, like, he's literally going to kill me, whether he intends to or not. Like, he just wasn't in complete control. And so I grabbed the gun. I grabbed the barrel of the gun. And we got into, like, this tug of war. And at some point, I had the gun. And I, and I say this all of the time, all of the Lifetime movies I've watched over all of the years of my life helped me not at all through any of this relationship <laughs> and especially not in this pivotal moment. Oh. So I got the gun and then I stood there and I was kind of like, okay, what do I do now? But also I think in the back of my mind was the realization that if I turn this gun around, I'm going to shoot him and I'm going to kill him. I'm yeah. going to shoot him like directly in his heart. Yeah. And so while I'm turning around scenarios in my head, of course, he realizes that I now have the gun. Right. And so he grabbed the gun back. And when he did, he grabbed it by the trigger. And and there was no safety on this gun. And so it went off. And, and it was like time stood still in that moment. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? Yeah. Anything? No, no. And is that when you got shot? That is when I got shot. So it was like this big spark of light. Um, Like you would think of, you know, like the flame when you first start your grill, if you use charcoal and how, like when you put the match on the lighter fluid, it like goes up. That's how big this burst was. And so like while that burst was there, it was almost like time stood still. And then when I came like back to life, I was, I felt like in slow motion, I was falling to the floor. I think once I got on the floor, we both realized what had happened. And he like was sober in that instant. Like he was just Mm -hmm. like screaming, look what you made me did. I can't believe this happened. And I should just kill you and kill myself because I'm going to go to jail forever. And meanwhile, I'm on the floor losing my mind because my leg was 
So like from my knee down, my leg was like flopping uncontrollably. Like when a fish comes out of water and it's on the land, just like flapping all around, that's what my leg was doing. So I'm looking at my leg and I'm not seeing any blood, but I feel the pain and I'm very confused and he's screaming. I'm just like losing my mind on the floor. Yeah. And so... I start to like plead with him, like, please just like, don't kill me. Just go. Just like, give me the phone and go. Because uh, in the midst of us, like having this back and forth, my legs swelled up like I had elephantitis. So I couldn't move. My leg got really, really heavy. Mm-hmm. So I was like on the floor and I just couldn't like drag myself to the dresser to get to the phone. So I just was at this point begging him and begging him to give me the phone, reminding him of the fact that there's a room full of kids next door Mm -hmm. and that he would just give me the phone and leave. Like, I'll just say someone broke in and they'll never know you were here. Um, And he left. Again, I feel like I'm telling you something I saw on TV. Right. No, this is this is wild. And you do hear really tragic stories of people acting in the heat of a moment and I mean not to give him the benefit of the doubt but like you said like he wasn't in his right mind at that moment and then suddenly he's like what did I do and you hear of a lot of stories like that and it they don't clear up and leave right and thank goodness he did so you were finally able to call 911 yes I called my my sister ruined her birthday of course And I also called the friend that I had been staying with because she lived very close. Mm -hmm. And again, I have all of these children, so I need someone to come and get these kids before the police and the ambulance and all of these things show up. And so I I was able to get through and I called everybody. And and then when when the police came and I gave them my story, they were like, that doesn't make sense, ma'am. Nothing's missing. Nothing's out of place. Like, Oh, you did tell them it was a robbery? Oh, yes. I, I, I tried. Tiff. And they were like, who did this? And, um, you know, the boys, they there were family pictures of us in their room. And so when they went in to get the kids and they saw the pictures and they were like, who is this? Yeah. And they kind of were like, this, all right, now we get it. This is what happened. Yeah. Can you even believe that? There is more to the story, but I did want to thank a final show sponsor, and that is Dermadry. So I don't know if you know this. I've talked about it a little bit on the show, but I have extremely sweaty hands. I always have. And in high school, I remember being sweaty out of my armpits, and my hands were really sweaty, and I was really self-conscious. And it's just a really tough thing to go through because it makes you feel self-conscious. And I know that some of you out there are also tired of sweat-stained t-shirts, maybe stinky feet, moist hands, and you might suffer from a condition called hyperhidrosis. Yeah, it's excessive sweating, a common condition that affects millions of Americans. And yet, instead of speaking up, we just endure it, and it's ridiculous. But Dermadry is your answer. Dermadry has an FDA cleared device that helps you with excessive sweating of the hands, feet, and underarms. After just a few treatments with Dermadry's anti-sweat device, you can begin experiencing long-lasting dryness for seriously up to six weeks. Having already changed thousands of lives around the world, Dermadry is convinced that its anti-sweat device will help you regain confidence and control in your life. So are you ready to say goodbye to your excessive sweating and say hello to Dermadry's anti-sweat device? 
I cannot wait to give this a try myself because sweaty hands is still something I deal with. And even though I'm only holding hands with one man now, still I get a little bit like, ooh, before holding hands with my husband. And I don't want to feel that way anymore. Dermadry has a great offer for my listeners. Get $50 off and free shipping. Is that nice? This is a no-brainer because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee, and that's a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So to claim your 15% discount, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to dermadry.com slash EEP. That's dermadry.com slash EEP. Thanks, Dermadry, for sponsoring the show and for helping me with my hands. I cannot wait to give your device a try. So... Did you finally tell the cops what had actually happened? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I did. And they put out, like, an APB. And, of course, they took me to a hospital. My sister um, came and got the, the, the children. And I was off to the hospital for several surgeries. My femur was shattered by the bullet. And so, first, they had to do a surgery where they stretched my leg to maintain the position, you know, the Mm -hmm. length and everything of my leg. And then I had to have a surgery where I now have a metal rod in my leg because my femur was just like destroyed. Mm. Um, So I was in the hospital for quite some time and I was under an alias because he was not apprehended for almost a month after this happened. (gasps) Yes. What? How sad. I mean, did you live in fear or did you feel safe within the walls of the hospital? Did you feel protected or? So in the hospital, I did feel protected and I'll be completely honest. I was just totally overwhelmed. And so for as long as they were allowing, like for probably for the first week, I had a morphine drip because of all of the surgery and all of the pain. And I would just, I was sleeping a lot through my hospital stay. Mm -hmm. I was having consistent guests and, you know, people were there to support me, but I was just like exhausted from the entirety of the ordeal. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to see people being sad. I didn't want to see people crying. And so I slept a lot in the hospital. And then when I got out of the hospital is when the fear set in. And that was because we had been together forever. There was nowhere, there was no one in my family. There was nowhere that, I could go that he didn't know. Yep. And I was having very, very bad, like PTSD. And, you know, I I wasn't sleeping well unless I was taking like pain medicine. And after, so for a while, you know, because of the severity of my injury, I had a walker. Mm -hmm. um, And then I, I couldn't like put any pressure on my leg. Like I had a whole setup initially when I got out of the hospital at my sister's with like a, a portable potty and, you know, I had to like bathe at the kitchen sink because I couldn't get up the steps. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. And so ultimately because of first, because of how much of a burden I felt like I was being on everybody. And also because I just didn't feel safe and I couldn't go back to my house. I ended up in a domestic violence shelter. With your sons? With my sons, yes. Yeah. So I know, I mean, you've been together with him for so long. You have so much history. Obviously, you've tried to get away from him and you you want to be done with him. But 
honestly, Tiffany, like, what did you want to have happen to him? Because, like, you were willing to say it was a robbery and cover up even at that point, you know? So what we were afraid laying yeah. on that floor. Yeah. Was right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so ultimately, once he was apprehended, like, I went to court. I, yeah. And, and let me let me say this. I tried very hard, very hard to hate him. I tried very hard to be angry with him. And, you know, it's just not who I am. It's not the way God made me. It's not the way he created me. I was very angry at the end of the day at what he'd done to me. Mm-hmm. I hated that I had to deal with the repercussions of the decisions that he made, but I could not hate him. Mm-hmm. I did, however go to court for the preliminary hearing and it was held over for trial in the beginning i felt like i did i wanted to punish him i felt like he deserved to whatever happened to him to happen to him and so you know i did i went to that preliminary hearing from the shelter it was so horrible i remember walking down the corridor to the courtroom and i had on and i had crutches and i looked a mess because i was still staying in the shelter and I didn't have all of my things and my hair was and not like I can remember I felt like I don't know if you've ever watched Game of Thrones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like when Cersei did the walk of shame that's how I felt walking to the door of that courtroom and like walking past his family and everybody like unsure about what to say like should they say hi should they yeah. not like you know it was just very awkward and even when we got into the courtroom and his lawyer started to question me, I honestly felt like I was on trial right. and not him. And that's why um, I asked that question because it's like, it is so complicated and you've had to create this narrative of survival for so long. It has to be hard to like switch over to not feeling like a victim, not feeling like an enabler, not feeling like you deserve, like it's gotta be so complex. I can't even fathom. So I can understand how you'd feel that way on the stand. Yeah, it was very complex. And, you know, it was, it was, it was just like, again, like a movie, because like I said, he had not been immediately apprehended. So when we got to the preliminary hearing and I'm hopping up to the, you know, the stand, if you will, with my crutches and they bring him from the jail and he has on like jail clothes and he clearly had it been like hiding out somewhere because his hair is extremely long. His his facial hair is really overgrown. And I look at him and I look in his eyes and I see the boy, if Uh. you will, that I fell in love with. You know, I don't see the monster that is the reason why we're there today. Yeah. But his lawyer obviously has to defend him. And I can remember, this is probably when I took the biggest stand through, you know, the process to that point. Cause like you said, when the police came in, I was still trying to say, Oh no, it was Robert. Yeah. His, his, his attorney said, isn't it true that he had the right, no, his attorney said, did he have a key to your house? And I said, no. And he said, isn't it true that he had the right to come and go as he pleased? And I said, well, that would require him to have a key. Yeah. He did not. And he, no, he did not have the right to come and go as he pleased at my yeah. home. You know, and I really like had to be firm with his attorney. He had a really good attorney, actually. Um, but I was just like, this is where it ends. Like, as as horrible as I look, as horrible as I feel, I'm not going to continue to be victimized. This yeah. is over. 
And so was that kind of a pivotal moment that actually needed to happen in order for you to just flip the switch of like, I'm done. I'm done being victimized. Like I am Tiffany. I have something to offer this world. I have worth. I do not need to be tied to this weight anymore. It was a pivotal moment for me. I think, you know, and I, and I can say that like leading up to me being shot, I was taking small stands like that, which is why he recognized that he was losing control. Because one of the things that I recognized when he pushed me up against that wall before we got into the tug of war and I looked in his eyes, I said to myself, you know what, Tiffany, you could tell him you're sorry and you could lay down and pretend that everything's okay and make up. And I was just like, I'm tired. I don't want to do that anymore. This is over. I shouldn't have to appease him you know, to save my life. Mm -hmm. So I think it was little things leading up to that. But in that courtroom that day, it was like, kind of like you said, like, yes, this is it. Like, I'm done with this. Right. And so what ended up happening to him? So they obviously after that day, it was held over for court. And while we're awaiting trial and I'm trying to get my life back on track, I couldn't find a job. I felt like there was like a red X on me. Like everyone had seen me on the news. People recognized my name. And I was just like, you know, feeling very stigmatized, feeling very pigeonholed, feeling very embarrassed um, and ashamed, if you will. And so I decided that I needed a change. And I have family in Atlanta and I have family in North Carolina. And I was just like, Atlanta is probably not the best place to go with two toddlers by myself. So I opted to go to North Carolina. So I literally moved. I had a minivan at the time. I packed up my my two boys and what we could fit in that minivan. And I left and I went to stay with my family in North Carolina. And I got a job. But ultimately, he was released from prison. Mm -hmm. And while this is not, um, this will be in the next book, but he was murdered not long after his release from prison. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Wow. Neither, neither did I. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated. And <laughs> I told how... you, I'm like, I'll give you the like yeah. short of it, but wow. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, knowing that he was getting out and everything and you had been moving on, how long has it been now or how long did it take to kind of really reestablish your life with your kids and to feel like there's actually a bright future like this we're not going to be defined by our past we are going to move on and create new memories and new hope and be strong well in the midst of all of this going on my younger son turned one Mm. um so like literally he and I learned to walk together um and so while he was in jail, I sent him a picture of our son. Like, you know, you take your kid to get birthday pictures and they give you like the card. Look who's one. So I sent him that card and we were able to be cordial while he was in prison. And I felt very safe one because he was in prison. but I was several States away and he had no idea where I was. So I had control at that point. And because I had that control and also because I was in a new place, I didn't really know anyone. Nothing was familiar to me. My time was consumed with 
finding and creating a new life and really finding who Tiffany was Mm -hmm. as a person, as a mom, as potentially, you know, a mate to someone in the future, you know? So I was really consumed with was, with just like getting my life back on track. Mm -hmm. So I stayed with my uncle for maybe four months and then I moved into my own place with the boys. So I would say I had gotten into a really good rhythm realistically, we'll say within a year. Okay. Wow. That's actually faster than I thought you would have said. That just speaks to, to how strong you are. And, and like you said, as an achiever, as somebody that had accomplished so much, I'm sure you had no doubt you could move on, you could get a job, you could provide for your family. Like, I'm sure that was your mindset, but then also there's so much healing and so much inner work. That, yes. had, that had never taken place, like you had mentioned, like the fact that, you know, you'd been in this relationship for so long and he was your project. Did you start to address that and what filled that hole in you? I mean, as you can imagine, I was at the lowest point of my life in this season. And I was always raised, you know, when my parents were together, we went to church together. We had Bible study at home. Like I was always rooted in my faith. I always had a relationship with God. And because I had nothing else at that point, it was my faith that really was what kept me and helped me to process everything and to heal and to forgive myself because I was really, really angry with myself. Hmm. Like that I had made the decisions that I had made, that I had stayed in this space for so long, that I had given up on so much, even though I'd accomplished so much, I knew that I could have done and been and had so much more, you hmm. know? And so there was a, there was a period of time where I had to grieve those decisions and I had to grieve, you know, the things that I chose to leave behind to rebuild. And once you know, and that's an ongoing process, you know, healing isn't something that has a time period on it. And it isn't something that like, you just wake up one day, like when you have the flu and it's gone, it's, Mm -hmm. it's completely different. So it, it's an ongoing evolutionary process, but my faith was definitely integral. And also the fact that there were these two cute little boys who were just counting to get it right you know and so how did you help them to process all of it I mean they were so young that you know they never knew a lot of that life thank goodness but how have you raised them very intentionally to grow up not having that that baggage and that um I don't know just just feeling more secure in in who you are and where you're going and it's not achievement based at all yes we want you to achieve things in life and, and so it can get kind of skewed can't it as a parent to yeah. to want your kids to be goal oriented and to praise them for when they accomplish things but then yeah. also to not have them base their worth on those things i feel that yes absolutely and so there's no really easy answer to that but i can tell you what i did embrace and what I was intentional about. And the Mm -hmm. very first thing that I embraced and was very intentional about was honesty with my children. Mm. I was always honest with them. I was never the parent who like said something just to shut their kid up. And, and largely because my oldest son at a very early age was very inquisitive, very observant, and he did not forget. 
attempted to foster a relationship where even if it's bad, you can come to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything and you can ask me anything because I would rather my children come to me for the truth than go searching from it and think they found it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So that was one piece of it. And the other is that I always supported them and I always encourage them to be their best, whatever that meant. I knew the pressure. And also I feel like even unintentionally, they knew the pressure because coming up, people were always saying, your mom was so smart and your mom, you know, so there was this uh, unintentional pressure placed on them. But again, because we had that communication style was something they could come to me and say. And so, you know, I did, Probably it got more challenging for me as my children got older, like into middle school and high school when children really begin to come into their own and develop their personalities. And they would say to me, mom, you have to remember, like, we're not you. Isn't that a great comeback from your kids? (laughs) They're throwing it back at us. We need the reality check sometimes, you know? Um, and so I, I appreciate it. And so I have, I did have a season with them where I had to take my hands off a little bit, you know, yeah. and it didn't feel good. But what I recognize, Jessica, and I'm sure you, you know, your listeners and you have recognized in your parenting journey, but also as the child of a parent that even when our children seem like they are like blowing us off or they're not embracing it, or they're like, here you go again, those seeds are being planted. Oh, yeah. And we can just consistently water them, even though it may be like nagging. And so I've learned through, you know, this journey with my children that they're getting it, even if they don't acknowledge it in the moment, it comes full circle. And there's a moment where I can see that they've embraced those seeds that I planted, even though they weren't happy about them when they were being planted. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they do have the value of education, even though they may not be like bookworms the way that I was, so to speak, you know, they do have the value of people having integrity and being honest. You know, they do have those things that I wanted them to have. Maybe they didn't receive them the way I necessarily wanted to receive them, but they're there. The lesson was taught either way, right? And sometimes we right. teach our kids a lesson by modeling things well. And sometimes right. we make a big mistake and we come back to them and say, this is how we come back from not handling something properly, right? And, and both both scenarios are equally as teachable and as valuable, in my opinion. Yes. yes. Yeah. And the journey continues, you know. Oh, yeah. Probably the hardest conversation that I had to have with them <laughs> was – when they wanted to find out what actually happened with their father and I, because my yeah. older son woke up, oh, he was awake. Gosh. Oh my gosh. He didn't get out of the bed. Like I said, he was very intuitive. He was very observant. Like he knew that it wasn't a good thing for him to get out of the bed, but he was awake. Wow. And for many, many years, he would say to me, mom, what happened when daddy put you on the floor? Oh boy. And I would just, I would never told him a lie. I would just, you know, change the subject of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, but a few years ago we were driving home and we were driving home um, from this, we lived right outside the city. So it was probably about from where we were coming from, it was probably about a 40 minute ride. And we rode past the County jail. And my son said, is that where my dad was? Mm. And I said, yes. 
And he said, what happened when he put you on the floor? Now, at this point, we're like seven minutes into a 40-minute ride. So it was very challenging for right. me to change the subject and change. And so at this point, they were ganging up on me. And my younger son's like, yeah, what happened? It's like Pete and repeat, you know? Like everything my older son said, he'd come back and say, like, yeah, like what he said. And so it, can't, it turned into this thing where they were like, come on, mom, just tell us. You said you would tell us when we got big and we're big. And, we... and so I didn't really have an excuse. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, we can have this conversation because again, I have to practice what I preach. You can come to me. We can talk about anything. I'll be honest. You can be honest. And so we had this conversation in the car, probably the longest car ride of my entire life. Yeah. The, the most challenging conversation of my entire life, but it was necessary and it was timely. And um, <laughs> And unfortunately, the conversation did not end in the car. You know, we came into the house and my son had more questions. My younger son, I think it was a lot for him to process that they're very, they're very different. They're very different children. Um, And at this time, they were probably like nine and seven. Yeah. So it was a lot, a whole lot for my younger son to process. And he was tired. It was late. So I'm pretty sure he came in, took a shower and was just like, all right, I've had enough of this. But my older son, he took his shower and he came into my room and we talked more and he understood it. You know, I was very intentional about telling them we have to remember that when someone makes a bad decision, the decision is bad. They are not a bad person. Right. We cannot we can't, you know, judge people based off their decisions because we all make poor decisions. We always make we all make bad mistakes. The The thing is, though, that sometimes our mistakes affect other people in very, very big ways, you know? Yeah. And and he he understood it. He wasn't happy with it. Um, But he he did tell me, he did say to me, and we were almost home, and I was just, like, so happy to be able to get out of the car. (laughs) You you start sprinting. (laughs) We got to, like, the stoplight right before turning onto our street and he said you know mom I feel really stupid and I said why like you're so smart I'm gonna try not to cry and he said you know I thought I was a normal nine-year-old with a normal dad who got murdered he said that's not what happened like my dad wasn't normal you know and I just like my heart broke and that's when I had to tell him that piece like you know your dad made a bad decision your dad wasn't a bad person you know, and he got it, you know, he got out of the shower, he came in my room. And at this point, Jessica, like my head is spinning. I'm just like, I can't take it anymore. And he comes in and he's just like, you know, mom, and I get it. He's like, maybe if dad had made different decisions, like maybe you would have still wanted to date him and maybe you would have married him. Maybe, you know, he, he really got it. Yeah. I think it's like, he was like, okay, like he didn't like it, but he was able to you know, make sense of it for as much as he could in that short period of time. But yeah, that was, that was probably the hardest conversation that I've had to have with my children ever outside of, you know, having to tell them that he was dead. Yeah. But I think sometimes the things that we're forced to confront with our kids, especially when it's in a time frame that we weren't expecting or we weren't prepped for or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of just like, what is the purpose of them knowing this information, you know? And and what do they need to know at this stage? And it's kind of, I'm sure there's been lots of revisiting 
in the years since then, um, you know, bringing up choices and legacy, you know, really, because I mean, everybody has a legacy, whether it's good or, or bad. Um, and it's kind of like these formative years for your sons and their teenage years of like, who do they want to become and what Mm -hmm. are their choices going to lead them towards? And, you know, what, what truly is most important in this life? And is it, you know, the achievements all the time? Is it just not doing some things or is it truly pursuing other character traits? You know what I mean? Like it's uh, it's something that we're all working on as parents. And I think we all want to give our kids the very best united parent front, the most stable environment, you know, all the love, keep them immune from challenges. We, we want that for them. And yet I think the strongest people, and I mean, your evidence of this, it's not people that are immune from challenges, but it's people that are self-aware enough and have the opportunity to emerge from these circumstances stronger, more self-aware. And now you're using your story to really educate not only your sons, but, but others as well. Yes. And, and you know what? It's, it's amazing how resilient our children are. You know, I had always intended to tell them what happened, but I just felt like it wasn't a truth they could handle Mm. at that juncture. You know, Mm. like I said, I never told them a lie about it. I just wasn't telling them much of anything, you know? And, and, you know, it really shifted things for me because of how we were able to move forward even after that conversation. Like, I'll be honest, I expected that they wouldn't want to go to school tomorrow. Yeah. And they woke up and they, you know, you know, again, the conversation continued. It wasn't just like one and done, Yeah. but they were fine. And when I got ready to write my book and I talked to them about it, they were encouraging me and they supported me. And in fact, my older son had a, you know, gave himself a challenge to see how many books he could sell, you know? So they, they embrace the journey even as challenging as it is. And that's not to say that they have not had their struggles. Obviously Mm -hmm. they have. And like Mm -hmm. you said, especially now they're becoming young men and they're deciding, you know, the life they want to live and the legacy they want to lead. And it's not, it's not been easy, Mm -hmm. but all things considered, they are great boys. And, you know, I joke, my older son is now almost 17, but when he turned 16 at the beginning of this year, and I was just like, man, like, you have all 10 toes and all 10 fingers, and you've <laughs> broken a bone, like, you know, we've just come so far. Yeah, yeah. We've come so, so far. So far, so far. Well, I commend you for how far you've come and what you've been able to do with your boys, and I have no doubt <clears throat> This will help shape them into not only the young men, but the strong husbands that they will become eventually as, you know, they have obviously learned a lot about relationships and and things like that. I wanted to ask you too, we are in the week that our new president was elected and we have our first African-American vice president and female vice president. What does that feel like for you as an achiever, especially knowing, knowing you better now, what does that feel like to have that, that person at the helm in that way? 
You know, I think it is amazing. I think that always being able to see something makes it more possible for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But I'll be honest with you, Jessica, like I said, my, my, I, there was never anything that I thought I couldn't do mm. ever mm-hmm. because of the way that that was like ingrained in me. And because I was always successful. Now I've never considered running for vice president. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and I think that it's a mate, it's a, it's a, unbelievable undertaking for anybody to even commit to because of all that comes with it. And so I think it is just, I think that we're now in a season or in a, a time where a lot of glass is going to be broken. A lot of changes Mm -hmm. and barriers that have been in place for so long, historically they're falling down. It's just, you know, you cannot hold women obviously anymore. And, you know, the racial barriers are, you know, as hard as people fight to maintain them, they're being broken. And so I think it's amazing because it gives an actual visual for people who just haven't been sure or people who didn't have the upbringing that I had to know that it's possible. Um, but I've always known it was possible. Mm-hmm. Somebody just needed to do it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I just love like, that. Oh, yes. Oh, somebody just needs to do it. Yeah. I wouldn't want that job either. So I'm glad it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't sound like you want that to be you either. And that's fine. That's fine. But but bless her for taking yes. <laughs> taking that yes. path. <laughs> yes. He will certainly be in my prayers. Because yes. like I said, I know Ugh. it's not going to be easy. You know, it's oh. a celebration, especially now. And of course, it will be something to celebrate through the duration. But it's going to be work. Yes. Like, that's work. Yeah. It's been so interesting, the reaction this week. Because I feel like I've hardly heard anything about, like, celebrating celebrating Biden's win but it's all been about the glass breaking with Kamala mm-hmm. Harris you know as VP and I I love it I'm here for it I think it's terrific <laughs> Let's... It's kind of like when you have a baby you know yeah. and you start to go out with your baby and people are like oh hey Jessica good to see you but look at the baby right oh my God, that's so baby. true you know? <laughs> it's that kind of thing. we love you and we think you're great because you carried an entire human for nine right. months but right now we have nothing to say to you out with the baby. Like, that's, let's have the baby. That's, aside from good choice, Biden, like, <laughs> that's so funny. I love that perception. Well, Tiffany, you are truly extraordinary. I am so proud of you and the work that you are doing. <laughs> Tell people where they can find you and your books and everything if they want to follow along even even more, because I know you have some new stuff coming out as well. Yes. So I am all over the internet, as I say, in the internet streets. Um, My (laughs) handle on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest now even is at the Tiffany Huff. My book, 30 Day Stay, you can find on Amazon and everything about me you can find on my website from the podcast to the book and all of the other amazing things. And that is tiffanyhuffexperience.com. My podcast is called the Bounce Back Blueprint Podcast, and it's all over anywhere you listen to podcasts. And Jessica, I have to thank you again. It was like, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to be here and to share with you and your audience. And I definitely don't take it for granted. So thank you. Thank you for creating this platform and this space where women can freely share and you know, others can be inspired and blessed and encouraged 
by the journeys of others. Oh, well, that's very kind. Uh, Thank you, Tiffany. I appreciate that very, very much. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? I would tell my pre-motherhood self to focus on Tiffany. Be 100% unapologetically Tiffany. And that whoever cannot support or embrace that, it's their problem. It's not yours to fix. Simple, but hard to do. Simple, but not easy, right? Yeah, that's powerful. Tiffany, thank you so, so much. All the best to your family and to you. And I just look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Likewise, Jessica. Thank you again. How about that? How amazing is Tiffany? I am so inspired by Tiffany sharing her story and being willing to open up these really difficult parts of her life in order for us to learn and have more compassion and understanding about what really domestic violence can look like and why somebody would stay even when it's bad and how conflicted their feelings can be. I think it's so important to listen to these victims because so many times our assumptions are not right and we want to be safe people for struggling people to come to and we can't do that without understanding so that's why I'm really appreciative to Tiffany for sharing her journey everything including her book will be linked over at extraordinarymomspodcast.com if you don't already follow me on Instagram you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast I'm so grateful for you every week for coming here we have Thanksgiving coming up next week and just the gratitude overflows from me to you and I hope that you feel that appreciation so we will see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom bye